Welcome to The Paradigm Concept, hosted by myself, Dr. David Rollis, CEO of Paradigm Oral Health. The Paradigm Concept will feature leaders and innovators in the healthcare industry, in particular dentistry, to help you find new, efficient, and innovative ways to build a world-class practice and deliver better patient care. At Paradigm Oral Health, we're all about shaping the future of our specialty, with a focus on putting the needs of the patient first. Learn more and subscribe today at ParadigmOralHealth.com. Hi, this is David Rollis, CEO of Paradigm Oral Health. Today, I'm joined by Ted Timmerman, Chief Technology Officer of Paradigm. I've had the great pleasure to work with Ted over the past several years, and we've become great friends, and it's been a real pleasure getting to know him and work with him. Ted, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for that intro. Thanks for having me. Well, Ted is a real technology genius and one of the most positive and energetic people I know, and he's built a great technology infrastructure network within Paradigm. And I've really enjoyed learning along the way. So in an attempt to hopefully learn more myself, I'd like to ask you a few questions about your background, how you came to join Paradigm, how the business has developed over the past many years, and what you see for the future of the business and more broadly, technology and healthcare, if that sounds like a reasonable plan to you. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, if you wouldn't mind, just to give everyone a sense of your background, can you describe your childhood and what brought you to your love for technology and your career that brought you to Paradigm? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in technology since the late 90s. I sort of found my way there through various means. My father was actually in the Marine Corps. He did 22 years. And so I spent my childhood moving around all over the country and even overseas. I met a lot of different people from all walks of life, all areas of expertise, and was able to get a fairly well-rounded upbringing. When I got to college, I knew that I wanted to work with people and I enjoyed business. And so I applied and was accepted to the School of Business at Penn State and was trying to then find my way to a specific major at that point. Back in the 90s, at least when I went to school, they didn't have specific degrees for IT unless you wanted to be a coder. And I knew that that wasn't specifically what I was looking for. So I actually was a a management science and information systems major, which was about as close as you could get to computer technology in a major back then. And it was really more of a business consulting degree with kind of an IT lean, database work and some systems design, some forecasting and those types of things. That was also kind of the dawn of the internet around that time. And so working in computers, I spent some time on the internet and got to know a lot of IT professionals who worked for companies all over the country and made some connections with some folks that worked for a Fortune 500 logistics company in Chicago and ended up out here right after school working full-time for them. So got my start at a very big company, got to see how that worked. As my career evolved, I started doing some consulting in the small and medium business space, spent some time learning how to do that in California, and then moved back to Chicago and actually started my own consulting company in Chicago back in 2011. I've worked with all different types of businesses, all different verticals, all different sizes and shapes. And I felt that that background really helped me with Paradigm because this company has grown immensely over the last four years and has looked different at various steps along the way. And so the problems that we're trying to solve as a six-month-old company are slightly different than the problems that we're trying to solve at year three, year five, and on into the future. 
you definitely trained and sort of grew up during an exciting time and evolution of technology, saying that web was created and all of this, definitely an exciting time. And probably as we look back a hundred years from now, I see that this was a unique time to be operating in a lot of change. How has that been? It's kind of been, I would say, incremental in its growth. What the internet looked like and what it enabled from a business perspective 20 years ago is significantly different from now. And actually, one thing that comes to mind is a comment that you made in a meeting a few months back where you were talking about how transformational the internet has been for businesses over the last 20 years and that data and data ecosystems is really kind of the big thing today. And, and that kind of along with AI is going to take us into the future. So I think that what IT systems look like in 2005 is certainly different from what they look like in 2015 and different even from what we've designed with Paradigm today. But the fascinating thing about this technology is that as it becomes more sophisticated and adds more tools, it allows us to kind of improve our business enabling processes so that we can really kind of focus on our core competencies. And that's what we've tried to do here at Paradigm is leverage technology to enable the things that we do already in a very outstanding way and to try to enable us to spend even more time on the patient side and on the clinical side to increase our patient care and our clinical expertise and let these tools kind of help us along the way. So I kind of think about it as there's the networking side and clinical technology. And it, I think if everything is going right, no one really even knows anything's happening on the networking side of things. It just works all the time and it, it's not that glamorous. You don't get thanked very often. Then there's the clinical side that as surgeons or people working in the clinics, we're touching every day and it, we want to see it and feel it and know how it works and be really involved. And that's probably an interesting dynamic that you have to deal with. And you sort of measure uptime, but you get judged by the milliseconds of downtime. How do you deal with that? As someone who's worked in IT as long as I have, it's really a lot about problem solving. We try to build systems that are secure with high availability and we don't want to be putting out fires, right? We want to be spending our calories, doing things proactively, trying to make the environment better and more stable and with more tools. Unfortunately, no system has 100% uptime. I really wish that it did. That would make my life fantastic. So when we do run into problems, we really just try to take an approach of what are the facts, what's happening, and what can we do about it? And I think our team is very, very good at putting emotions to the side in a crisis and listening to the people that are frustrated and working with them, but really just trying to get to the fix. And then once the problem is fixed, we can go back and look at, was there anything that we can learn from this, things we can do better, that sort of thing. So it's a part of the job, unfortunately. Again, I wish that everything worked all of the time, but we really try to just focus all of our energy on the problem solving piece of it. And so if we do have an issue, let's get that resolved and then let's see how we can make things better. I think the exciting thing is that 10 years ago when I had a single practice, single location, the network was important, but it was right in front of me and it was very tangible and really wasn't responsible for operating really all that much, a handful of computers and things. So if there was downtime, we could sort of solve for it. It'd be pretty miserable and we'd patch things back together. But at this scale, it's critical that there's disaster recovery plans. There's just no room for failure. And I think we really bit the bullet early on in going to a common IT infrastructure throughout the 
practice, which I guess makes me feel really good from a connectivity perspective, building value within the enterprise, sustainability, being able to recover from disasters. I guess maybe talk a little bit about that. What's the thought that's gone into that and cybersecurity and what makes you sleep well at night? <laughs> Absolutely. So disaster recovery and security are obviously two key parts of any sort of enterprise level operation. And so it's A, trying to prevent issues, downtime and incidents, but B, being prepared to deal with them if and when they do happen and trying to minimize the business impact that that's going to have. So standardization, as you mentioned, certainly goes a long way to solving those problems. You know, if we're on similar systems, that's going to enable the support team to have a faster response because we've got repeatable processes and we're executing the same things on the same systems if and when we need to. So that's kind of one factor. Another factor, obviously, is eliminating single points of failure. So that's where your redundancies come in. So one example of this is we're a very heavily cloud-based organization. So we rely on the internet for a lot of things. So internet going down can be a fairly big showstopper. So We've attacked that with vendors, with technology, and in any number of other ways, so that if there's an incident with one provider, that's not going to necessarily be a showstopper for us. You've also got some redundancies on the hardware side as well. And then from a security perspective, really just trying to stay ahead of the game, which with security is very difficult to do. So as fast as new security solutions come out, the hackers are already working around that. They're already two steps ahead a lot of times. So and being in healthcare, unfortunately, we're a heavily targeted industry. So again, it's really kind of about having good disaster recovery plans, having good backups, having secure backups, and then using some of the latest and greatest security technology, even if we think it might be a little bit of an overkill right now, preventing that downtime is crucial. And ultimately, the dollars that you're spending to protect your systems are going to approach the cost of a massive incident. I'm constantly getting, I'm probably making it sound worse than it is, but constantly getting yeah. flooded with dual authentication notices and putting in different texted codes and feels like it's a lot. But at the same time, I'm really grateful of it because I think the alternative is much, much worse and systems I wouldn't even know how to set up as you have. So it's, I think, a real asset that we have that. You're absolutely right. I mean, you think of what day-to-day -day life looks like today from a technology perspective versus 10 years ago. Even with your own personal devices, everyone should have multi-factor on their personal email accounts. If you're using Gmail or Yahoo or whatever, obviously the banking stuff is crucial to secure that as much as you can. Actually, just having a password on your cell phone. People didn't lock cell phones for years and years and years. So it is a little bit unwieldy at times but certainly worth the safety and protection and that very important sleep at night that we all try to get. Well, I think it's really nice for our practices because it's the type of thing that most of us as surgeons just aren't going to be expert in and probably don't have the time to figure out how to set these things up and develop a stable infrastructure like that. So I think it's something that all the doctors, you know, we really appreciate all that you do there. For practices that are part of paradigm, it's one thing, but what kind of advice would you have for a typical single practice? What's the most important things they can be thinking about today? You know, some simple things to secure maybe their on-premise network or what you've typically encountered in practices that you've done diligence on. I think the first thing you should think about is holding your IT vendor accountable. A lot of people, you find somebody 
you're paying them however much a month, things kind of get automatic and on autopilot. And maybe you're calling them all the time for help desk, maybe you're not, but really kind of checking in on the key important things. Backups, are those happening regularly? Can I get confirmation of that? Are we prepared to deal with a disaster? If we go down, what's the plan? Have them go through that with you. Are things being patched and updated regularly? What version of our software are we on? Are you running on something that's five or six years old? It can be a little bit more affordable to do that, but chances are that software is going to be a lot more at risk to newer vulnerabilities and hacks that are out there. So making sure that you're keeping things up to date. So I really think just kind of regular touch points with your vendor, making sure that they are giving you the confidence that they've got their hands on the wheel and that they're protecting your systems. But you also, you need to prioritize. As Dr. Rollis mentioned, it's nice to kind of leave everything in the background and not think about it when it's working, but it is such a core business enabling process now. If your technology is having serious problems, your business is probably having serious problems. So really just kind of doing regular reviews and making sure that all those boxes are getting checked so that you've got that peace of mind. Turning the page from the business essential work that's super important, but isn't maybe as noticeable to things that I think that we're going to really see move the needle in terms of our patient experience and the efficiency and satisfactions of our teams. And that is the enterprise level practice management software that we've been fortunate to be able to develop or be heavily involved in the development of this custom solution for us. Talk to me about some of the efficiencies or moving towards a less fragmented, more of a holistic ecosystem to operate our clinic level work, our patient records, our electronic health records, and then marrying that with the business and in finance and marketing side all the way through to telephony. What gets you excited about that project? There's just so much opportunity in our space in particular, and this isn't going to be true for everybody, but the technology is significantly dated because we are a more niche specialty. And so being able to leverage some of the more modern tools, you mentioned patient care and patient happiness. I think employee happiness goes a long way to enabling patient happiness. If you've got a bunch of grumpy employees walking around because they don't like their systems or things take a long time or the tools they have are just frustrating to use, that's not going to lead to a great patient experience. So being able to develop a modern software that we have design input in, that the team is going to be getting the types of things that they want, that we're able to communicate the things that are important to us and our workflows and tie that all in together, I think happy employees are going to make the patient care even better. So that's one aspect. From a technology uh-huh. perspective, being able to tie all these things in together, like you said, marketing, RCM, all the way down to a scheduling coordinator, a lot of these data points are relevant to multiple parts of the business. So being able to have better reporting on that, being able to take some AI and be able to analyze patient interactions and find out what's working and what's not working, whether that's with a phone call or with the scheduling or with some other type of interaction, having kind of a central thing where everybody is running the same processes, the clinical workflows are similar, it's going to make it easier to train if we're opening new practices. We've got a ready-made process that we can plug them into that's tried and true and tested, and we know that it works. So I think that the lift that we should see from A, developing this new software and then B, moving our practices to it is just going to be phenomenal because everybody's going to be rowing in the same direction. And it's a direction that we actually want to be rowing in. 
another thing about it I love is I think we've kind of all in paradigm developed a passion for data and, and the data science or the data ecosystem that you and the business intelligence team has set up, I think is world-class. I don't think we could be a fraction of where we are without it. It's great to sort of have this impartial or unbiased language to communicate through, particularly with surgeons who are very mathematical types of individuals. But the frustrations I think we've kind of run into as well has been capturing the same data at different practices or different locations. And I, I think we've done a good job of that, but moving towards something where it's a whole technology ecosystem, everything that happens within the practice is totally connected, should allow us to capture data much cleaner and maybe even not force, but guide people into singular workflows that are best practices. Because there's really no reason that we should be registering patients or documenting different things, particularly very critical things, a hundred different ways. There ought to be a best way to do it, and we should all do it that way. Certainly all agree upon it, arrive at a consensus, but we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel every time. And then it becomes impossible to capture that data, understand it, compare apples to apples. So this has been a very long project, putting this software together and marrying it with our data ecosystem. I think the operational efficiencies and the patient satisfaction and our team satisfaction should change dramatically from a data perspective, don't you think? You're absolutely right. The issues in sort of a more disjointed environment are compounded because A, you're pulling data from different systems. So maybe the data points that you're collecting are different or they're being tracked in different ways. And so it's a lot more difficult to capture or compare apples to apples. And then even if you've got practices on the same system, are they using it in the same way? And with an acquisition model like Paradigm has, we're adding practices to our brand that are on some similar systems, but they're not necessarily using them in the same way. And so even though we can go into those systems and pull out data, you're not always going to be looking at the same things. And so being on a single system with best practices where we have data controls, it's going to make that data truly valuable and really kind of tell the stories that we're interested in learning about. Garbage in, garbage out is a pretty common phrase with regard to data. And so if people are capturing things incorrectly or in the wrong way, or you don't have any sort of controls to make sure that you've got good and clean data, you could run the best reports in the world, but it's going to be inaccurate. I feel like the last decade, we've almost been cheated in terms of what was available to us. And I think the softwares that we've used are, are very good, not to put them down at all, but they support very small markets in terms of a dental specialty versus a market that Epic might support, or even softwares that support general dentistry more broadly. So through this project really opened my eyes in terms of what's available with automation and AI and what can be developed when you're addressing a larger market and not focused on a pretty small customer base. Does that seem accurate? It does. And I think that a lot of the software design that was taking place 15, 20 years ago did not have enterprise in mind. It was more for private practice and smaller practices. And so what companies like ours have attempted to do is take this square peg and put it in a round hole. How can we take these tools that are available to us and scale them and build an enterprise system around them? And I think a lot of people throw up their hands and don't even try. To our credit, I think we rolled up our sleeves and we tried to make the best situation that we could. But again, having a new technology partner that is willing to build and grow with us 
was incredibly valuable. And it also would open so many other doors down the road because this technology can be applied to a number of other things. And so as paradigm kind of grows and changes, I think these tools are going to be able to grow and change with us. Yeah, it's really exciting time in the business to be implementing these changes. And we always say that paradigm differentiates itself on data technology and education. So it's sort of a mix of digital and analog and bringing them all together. It's kind of like dentistry in general, the clinical practice of it. I think we're going to have some really cool opportunities to educate our teams, implement new technology, and then capture data, and then go back and educate again. So it should be kind of a positive feedback loop for us. Really excited to see what we can accomplish. It seems like connectedness is just so important in terms of process improvement, whether it's down to the clinical research that we're doing and being able to do research to support that we are the best, or if we find out that we're not the best at something, how can we quickly adapt and learn from the data? So that's sort of my vision for the future of the business as it relates to technology. And I think with some of the things we're seeing with AI, in some regards, it would be great to replace people, including myself. If a robot could take out wisdom teeth better, then great. I'd want that robot to take out my child's tooth if they can do it better. But otherwise, assuming that doesn't happen, I think it's going to be a lot about making humans perform better. And we're in this really challenging staffing environment since COVID where we probably do just have to accept some level of turnover. People have a lot more options. Society's changing and things. So you probably do have to understand that we have to make our jobs really appealing, make them satisfying to people. Any technology we can use that can make their job a little more pleasant or in the event that we maybe will have to deal with some turnover, how can we get people trained up to the top of their performance so that they can do a really nice job quickly. It seems like capturing data, delivering that to the scheduling coordinator or the treatment coordinator, giving them insights about their performance, how their practices, patients are interacting with them, rating them, et cetera, giving feedback, helping them identify slots to put patients in, new ways of educating patients. That's what really excites me and how I think technology will impact the future of paradigm. Do you have thoughts about where you see the future going or where we should be focused? I think you said a lot of great things there. And my thinking is very similar. I think that AI, at least sort of in this 1.0 version, I mean, once we get to quantum computers, who knows? But for now, it's going to help us do things better. It'll help us make decisions faster and potentially more accurately. It's going to add efficiencies and improvements in things that people don't want to be doing, right? If we can take away some of the busy work, some of the more tedious functions and put automation behind it. Again, I think that's going to lead to a more satisfied workforce. Who knows what's coming 20, 25 years down the line, but I think in the short term, if we can leverage AI and data and some of these new tools to ease the burden on some of the more difficult or more tedious processes, that's just going to improve things for everybody. I think of it sort of from an abundance perspective. I think we need to have technology that can make us more efficient, capable of doing more, capable of doing better work. I don't think it's about eliminating things. I think it's about expanding what we can do. The scarcity in oral surgery, the number of patients that need work done, and if we can do more work, better quality, and hopefully even a lower price, make it more available to more patients, I think that would be spectacular and, and something that we need to really strive for. So... It's great getting your perspective on all these things, Ted, and it's probably one of my favorite parts of the business is 
how we can utilize technology. So I really appreciate all your help. And I know the rest of the surgeons do it as well. And if, if we don't thank you enough for everything working so seamlessly, I'd like to thank you now. So any final thoughts? No, I just want to say thank you to you as well. I mean, it's been a fantastic opportunity working with you and our fantastic team of surgeons to not only learn about this industry, but to help build this company and build some of the platforms that the company uses. So I know that I've learned a lot over the last four to five years working on this project. I've been grateful for the opportunity. So I'll turn the thanks back to you and thanks for letting us have this conversation and get some of this information out there. All right. Well, thanks, Ted. Look forward to the future. All right. Thanks, David. Take care. You've been listening to The Paradigm Concept, brought to you by Paradigm Oral Health, an organization led and owned by surgeons passionate about shaping the future of our specialty and ensuring the needs of the patient come first. Learn more and subscribe to the show at ParadigmHealth.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on The Paradigm Concept. Music